You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. the back. We have Mr. Ben and Mrs. Becca have their hands up back there. They are going to have Doxa Kids Church for you. So if you'd like to go to that, you are more than welcome to do that. Everyone else, take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Last week we started a new series. We're going through this book and we're calling this series Affection in Affliction. This is an intensely personal letter by the Apostle Paul to the people who he loved in the church at Corinth. And we got this started last week, and I had a whole intro ready to go for you this morning, and last night I decided to completely scrap that introduction. Uh, I, was, I was actually home alone. Well, well, I wasn't home alone. I was home watching the kids. Julie was out. to She had supper with a friend, and so... I made sure as I made my spaghetti dinner, I didn't burn the garlic knots this, this, this evening. And, and the kids were like, hey, Dad, can we watch a movie? That's usually the way this goes. And usually I say no. But I was like, you know, sure. There's, there's something I kind of want to see. Earlier in the week, um, I had came across this documentary on, on a lady named Corey Tenbu. And some of you may be very familiar with that name and her story. But I've grown up in the church. I've been a Christian almost my whole life. And I've never really looked at this story. I've never really given much attention. I've always just kind of like, it's been there in the back of my mind. I kind of vaguely know, okay, the hiding place. She, she hid Jews who were, being, who were being killed by Nazi Germany. Uh, but I decided to look at that. I looked at it for about three minutes, like back on Monday night. And we didn't go any further than that. And I was like, you know what? I feel like the kids, kids and I should just check it out. Maybe we'll watch it for 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Well, we got into this story this documentary, and it was fascinating, okay? Uh, this, this was a Dutch woman. She was a Christian living in the Netherlands. As Nazi Germany came and invaded, uh, they started persecuting the Jews. They started, started taking them, and, and Corrie Ten Boom and her family, they were, they were watchmakers. They decided to risk their lives and start saving the Jews. So as this story goes along, uh, there was another person, like a neighbor of hers, who came in and knocked on the door. This is about a year and a half in of them, like, you know, saving these Jewish people. And he had this whole story that he made up, and he ended up turning her in. And so the very next day, the Nazis came in, burst in. The Jews were saved, but they took Corey Tenboom and her whole family into concentration camps just because they had been rescuing these Jews. And it's an incredible story to hear her own words talk about how she was in this mental agony. She was basically, she watched her sister be tortured, just brutal stuff. And then after the war, she had the ability to write a letter to that neighbor who had turned them in and forgive him. Just incredible. Um, and then as the story goes along, she started explaining more of her testimony. Of, of what Jesus had done, even in the midst of being in a concentration camp. She was able to smuggle in a small, pocket-sized New Testament and hold Bible studies. She shared that. People came to Christ. Uh, it was just an incredible story. But as she was giving that testimony in a church, 
one of the Nazi soldiers who was a prison guard of that concentration camp came to her and a couple years after the war said, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm now a Christian. And he asked her to forgive him. He had his hand outstretched and she remembered, she, she's recollecting this and she's in her own words saying, I had a really hard time forgiving him. But when I thought about what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, I knew I had to forgive him. And she tells this story. I want to show you a picture of this. So she would use this word picture all the time. Um, it's a picture of mangled threads, right? Not much to look at. This is, uh, this is just a mess. There's knots. There's things going all different directions. And she would say, this is, this is a picture of the ugliness and sometimes the hardships and the mess that we go through in life. And then she would flip that, that tapestry around, and the other side of this embroidery, you would see a beautifully embroidered crown. And her whole picture was, in our lives, we often see the wrong side. But God sees his side all the time. One day we'll see the embroidery from his side, and we'll thank him from, for every prayer that was unanswered, every prayer that was answered, in all the threads of our life, even though they seem knotted, I know that if I live by faith, then the, on the other side of the embroidery, there is a crown. So as we watched that film, uh, I was just blown away with that story. My son was, uh, Becca and Paxton. It was just a great reminder of exactly what we're at here in 2 Corinthians 2. Because the message that we're going to see in 2 Corinthians 2 gives us the same ability to forgive the same way that Corey Tenboom did because we have the same Savior, Jesus Christ. This passage of Scripture not only gives us the way to forgive, it shows us the hope we can have in the darkest of times. So hopefully you're there, 2 Corinthians 2. Um, what should you do when you feel like giving up? This is a message that is going to address that reoccurring question of life. And last week, just to recap, as we opened up this series, we saw that there is a time in life to pull back and distance yourself from a toxic relationship. That's what Paul is actually in the midst of right now. He wants complete restoration in the church of Corinth. He's been personally attacked. He's, he's doing the hard thing now. He is pulling back. And he's not going right back into the hornet's nest. But as he is doing that, and even though they're hearing a different side of attack against him, Paul is assuring them in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4, this is exactly where we left off, For I wrote to you, out of much, much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know of the abundant love that I have for you. So there's a point here that we saw last week. We spent a lot of time on this, and it cannot go understated. Sometimes in life, you have to pull back, and the only thing you can do is let that person know, I love you. If you have a fractured relationship, you have to assure them that I care for you, no matter what anyone else says. Maybe you're in the same place that Paul is today. Maybe there's a relationship that you have that is hanging in the balance. Maybe it's not relational. Maybe, maybe it's a physical thing. Uh, maybe it's a personal vice, a stronghold that you have that you cannot get freedom from. 
Or maybe you're absolutely good right now and things are going well. You've got a new job. There's, a new, there's new opportunities. It's only a matter of time on this side of the tapestry, this underside of, of the embroidery where things get knotty, things get messy, and you will be tested. So when we have these feelings of how can I forgive this person, when we have these thoughts that I am giving everything I have, I'm sacrificing so much, is it even worth it? This person is taking it all for granted. I'm, I'm doing my very best over here, and it's almost looked at and just tossed aside. I feel almost used in this situation. 2 Corinthians, more than any other epistle, and I talked about this, here it is again, it humanizes Paul. We see the trauma, we see the hurt, we see what it's doing to him, and the way this is written, it places us right in the middle of the breaking point. So this morning we're going to see three specific points, three steps that you need to take when you feel like giving up, when you don't know if you have it in you to forgive. And we're going to see that getting your head right to be able to do this all starts with getting your heart right first. Getting your head right starts with getting your heart right. So let's read the text. 2 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you <clears throat> to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him every truth into that situation. It's what we're called to do. We're called to point people to truth and redirect their thoughts to our Savior. Jesus forgives, and when you are forgiven, you are to also forgive others. People who are forgiven by Christ should be forgiving. I mean, how could you not be? When you stop and think about the gospel, you didn't deserve this forgiveness, but Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. He rose again. He forgave you, and now you have the ability to display that same love of Jesus Christ by forgiving others. There is no better way for you to display the love of Jesus than to forgive someone. It's really the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle of love. Like, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
He forgave us. And now we are called to do the same thing. I think what makes forgiveness difficult in our culture is that we live in a society where forgiveness is hardly even seen as a virtue. It's really been muddied. More often than not, forgiveness is like seen as this display of, of weakness. It's a sign of weakness in our world. We see this every, everywhere we turn. In the world, seeking forgiveness is something you do because of shame to make the effects of your mistakes go away. Did you hear that? I seek forgiveness because, yeah, I have shame, and I just want this problem to go away and things to be resolved. That's the world's version of seeking forgiveness. In Christ, seeking forgiveness is driven by godly sorrow to the point of repentance, and when forgiveness is granted, there is freedom and restoration. There's a big difference there. And you can see this in the headlines. Someone reads the wrong book, okay? This book wasn't woke enough. And now they have to offer an apology for this supposed crime. It's a forced apology. It's driven by shaming. And it's literally just about saving face, right? So what happens? You say you're sorry. The outrage, outrage mob still goes for blood because they don't want restoration. They want an example. They want somebody to have their skin on the wall. That's what is happening. An apology is offered and forgiveness isn't extended. You still have to step away, take time to reflect, do the work, and learn something about this issue that you just apologized for, right? That's where our world is at. What sounds more loving to you? 2 Corinthians 2, where you forgive and you put it in the past and you comfort and you re reaffirm your love for that person? Or just saying, hey, step over here, step aside, get, get yourself right. The world's forgiveness is a sham compared to what true biblical forgiveness is. Now, if you hurt someone in a harmful, vindictive way, then you absolutely should own your fault, apologize, and then step back and allow that person a chance to forgive you. But our culture has this blurry definition of forgiveness because it's not, I'm sorry, I forgive you. It's not that. It's, you offended me, I'm hurt, and now please beg for mercy or else. That's what it is. And you apologize for something you don't even really need to apologize for, and then you still get eaten for lunch. Rinse and repeat. That's oppressive. That's terrible. Let's, not li let's live better than that. So people are confused with forgiveness and asking forgiveness, and they just say, forget it all. I'm just going to blame shift and blame somebody else for this issue and not even go there. Real forgiveness and restoration from God is something completely different than appeasing the offended and trying to save face. True forgiveness is releasing the burden of guilt on someone who wronged you. You are releasing that. When God forgives in the scripture... He separates your sin as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 103. To forgive is to bury your burden in the depths of the bottomless sea in Micah 7. To forgive is to turn the key to open the cell door and let the prisoner walk free in Isaiah 61. To forgive is to write in large letters across a debt, nothing owed in Matthew 18. To forgive is to pound the gravel in the courtroom and declare not guilty 
in Romans 5. There are so many word pictures for forgiveness in Scripture. We could go on all day. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high in the air and so far that you will never find the arrow again. I love the analogies of forgiveness that the Bible gives us. It's to pull the anchor and set the ship out to sail. To forgive is to loosen the stranglehold on a wrestling opponent and allow them to breathe. When you grant forgiveness to someone, there is restoration and there is freedom. And you're not holding it against them anymore. Because that's what Jesus does for us in our own sin. Forgiveness is a marvelously liberating attitude and act, and even physically it's healthy. When you forgive someone, this, this is a spiritual reality that has direct impact on our, on our physical bodies. It relieves tension, it produces joy, it brings peace, it erases stress. And to top it all off, forgiveness is the most noble thing you can do to another human being because it's the love of Jesus Christ displayed at the highest level. That's what it is. Forgiveness displays the love of Christ. Now, there's only one way you can actually know how to do this, and it's by, first of all, receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for your own sin. When you repent of your sin and you look to the cross of Jesus, his shed blood for your sin, and you say, I am sorry, I want you to save me. Please save me, God. Based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you now have true forgiveness. Now you have the ability to offer real forgiveness to other people. There's a TV show that Julie and I watch. We've watched the show for a few years. Um, and it's about a family, and there's three brothers and sisters. There's two brothers and a sister. And they're in their like late 30s. You may know this show. You, you'll, you'll probably catch on if you, if you watch this show. Um, but but this, this girl is in this relationship. Um, and the, the interesting thing about this show is it shows you all these flashbacks to when this family was growing up. So from like an early age, from birth on all the way up, you get all these different flashbacks, different, different aspects and different events in their lives and how those things build up to where they're at right now. So it's a really interesting show. Uh, it has a lot of good, like, human lessons in it. Not everything is accurate, though. But this one girl, the, the girl in the family, she, is, she was in this really abusive, mentally and, and, and uh, verbally abusive relationship in high school. And she starts talking with her husband about it, and she's like, hey, you know what? I, I feel like I need to just go talk to this guy. This is like 20 years later. She finds out that her old boyfriend now lives like a couple hours away. So her and her husband get in the car. They drive to San Diego. And in this TV show, she goes to her old boyfriend, this nasty guy, and asks him a few questions. He's the exact same guy. You know, he's still in this dead-end job. You know, nothing's really changed about him. And this girl, I mean, you feel really sorry for her. She's been in this abusive relationship. It, they, they do a great job of painting this picture, but she goes off on him, and she just reams him out. And the whole point there in the show is that, hey, I had to just get this off my chest. That was the way that I could get rid of my bitterness, was by yelling at this person and, and giving them what they deserve. That's the way the world looks at this, okay? But I have news for you. True forgiveness 
does not look like you demeaning the other person and putting them in their place and telling them everything they ever did wrong to you. That may make you feel good for an hour, maybe a day, maybe a week, but that's not going to help them, and it's not going to help you actually get freedom. TV, it, it makes for great TV. It doesn't work that way in real life. Telling them off to make yourself feel better is not truly going to fix or restore anything. Forgiveness is the biblical answer. So don't let yourself get outwitted by Satan. Don't be ignorant of his designs in verse 11. For Christian, the goal is to not get it off your chest. It's to find restoration. Restoration happens through repentance and forgiveness. So, if you right now are, are, are in this place, you've been wounded, and maybe the person hasn't even asked for forgiveness. They've never even owned their fault. Just like Corey Tendum, you can get to the point where in your heart you say, you know what, I'm ready to forgive them. And as and it may never come. They may never ask for repentance. But even if they don't, I'm going to forgive them in my heart. I'm going to release this, and I'm going to let this go. I'm not going to let it hang over me and allow that pain that they inflicted upon me to hold me back any longer. Getting your head right starts with getting your heart right. I was a sinner, but Jesus forgave me. He forgave me of a debt that I could never repay. So I'm going to let it go. That's the biblical remedy for restoration. It's the biblical remedy for bitterness. It's to forgive the sinner and reaffirm the restored. The second thing that you need to do when you feel like giving up is found in verses 12 and 13. Look at the text again with me. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord... My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. So later on in this, in this book, in 2 Corinthians, back in, all the way into chapter 7, we're going to see a little bit more about, about Titus. Titus is like Paul's liaison right now. He's the one delivering the letters. He's the one like on the ground working through all these problems with the church at Corinth. And Paul is admitting right here that he is really struggling with this fractured relationship. He hasn't returned, as we've discussed, because it's not completely fixed yet, and he is just craving more news about it. The interesting thing is, he's in Troas, which is like 10 miles to the north. It's, uh, it's right next to the old ancient city of Troy. And a door is opened, okay? Good things are happening. He's planted another church. It's going really, really well. But what did Paul say about himself personally there? Do you see that in verse, uh, verse 12, verse 13? My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother there, so I took leave of them and I went on to Macedonia. Now, I've heard pastors and Bible teachers like condemn Paul right here. At this point, there's no leading of the Holy Spirit. He's doing this because it's what he feels like. So the argument goes, and, and if you hold that view, I'm not here to debate you. But 
In chapter 7, we do get a lot of details on where he goes. He leaves Troas in the middle of this good thing. And uh, I have to say, though, I, I don't think it's a problem that Paul's spirit was restless. He was not right. And he had to take a step back to get his heart right about it all. Okay? Um, as a side note, you can call me an old soul here, but I think this sounds pretty, pretty fun to just be like, all right, I have to go to this other city and hunt down this guy. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. It's just like, we're, you know, leave a trail. You know, I, I'm writing this letter. I'm telling you where I'm going. That's what they did. Like, I know Titus. He should be over here, so I'm leaving. And I'm going to go hunt for, for Titus so he can give me some news. But think about this. Even though there was a good thing happening, a door was open for me, great things were going on in this church. The truth of the matter is, there's always something good you can do. Always. There's always going to be another ministry, another event, another thing that you can do to serve the Lord. There's always going to be another person to serve and, and another person to love. But listen closely here. You can injure yourself by doing the right thing at the wrong time. Okay? Paul right here, he knows, hey, good things are happening, but my spirit is restless. This, this, this unresolved situation that's not quite right, I just need to talk to Titus about it. Something I learned all the way back when I was first in ministry in Colorado. You know, Julie and I were in this place. We were going nonstop. I was working full-time job at a coffee shop, working in a church, and just there was no slowing down. The pastor of that church actually told me, hey, David, sometimes you have to let go and you have to pull back on something that's good. Because people will let you just keep running. They will let you go until you kill yourself. Okay? There's always something good to do, but if you're doing it and you're forcing it and your heart isn't in it, and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're maybe you're struggling with something else personally in your spirit, it's actually harmful for you to force it and keep doing that good thing. So if you're asking, when do I know I need to quit? Sometimes you need to step back and find peace and get rest. And don't equate the two things. It's not, to say, like, it's not quitting to say, hey, right now I need to pull back right here. I need to get my heart right on this. I need to, get, I need to find some peace in my spirit before I go any further with this. Because if you force it and you just serve, 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 work, 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 go, 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 because it's the right thing to do and I have to do it. No one else is doing it. Wait a minute. Is that accurate? Can't someone else step up? Can't God fill in someone else? God's going to get his work done. Yes, he wants to use you, but you can't force it. You can't kill yourself. You can't injure yourself by doing the right thing at the wrong time. So Paul gives us an example, and he steps back. He leaves. He doesn't let this become something that, that turns his heart cold and calloused. There is a time when you need to step back and reset. That's the second point. Reset when you know that you are faking it. Reset when you know you're faking it. So the interesting uh, transition here is that it, this is it, got, it does get choppy between verses 13 and verse 14. There's not a cohesive thought 
intertwining these two verses together. And let's look at verse, look at verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So you might say, how did Paul get to this like depth of despair in verse 13 to the point where he has to leave this church, go hunt down Titus to verse 14? He's good. He's, he's talking about triumph, right? We're told exactly how he got out of the dark mental place and it's found in the rest of this chapter, verses 14 through 17. This is where we get our third point. Number three, give thanks by looking to God. If Paul would have kept going in Troas and just kept serving and kept going and going, who knows what would have happened? We don't know what would have happened because Paul didn't allow that to happen. He, he, he reset and he looked to God. Let's look at, verses, let's look at the rest of these verses. Pick it out back in verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. When you are looking at people, there is always an avenue to find discouragement. There always is. People, people are, are human. People make mistakes. We don't get it all right. When you are just focused on people, even the ministry can become discouraging. When you are just focused on your pain, the joys of life just get, get overshadowed, get sucked out. When you just see the doom and gloom on the horizon, you will feel like giving up. What's the point? Everything's going to hell in a handbasket anyway. What does it really even matter? When your head is not in the right place, it's because your eyes are not on the right place. Don't focus on all the sin. Don't focus on the sinner. Focus on God. He is the healer. He is the forgiver. Something else that Corey Tenboom said from that documentary that we watched last night that fits so perfectly into this. Here's a, here's a woman who went through intense agony like we've never seen before mentally. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at Jesus you'll find rest. Isn't that good? Look to Jesus. God never fails. He never disappoints. And here to see this transition in verse 14, this is where when you understand Roman history a little bit about a triumphal procession, this, this just pops, okay? So let me explain. Julius Caesar built the city of Corinth to what it is at this, at this current time. You know, when he made it the capital of the region of the Roman region of Achaia, he really put it back on the map. So this is a Roman city in a, in a lot of sense, even though it's in Greece. But what is a triumph? The, the Corinthians knew exactly what he was talking about, okay? A triumph was when a Roman uh, government honored a great general. And this honor could only be bestowed upon a victorious Roman general only under the best 
circumstances, okay? Certain circumstances had to be in place. Before he could win a triumph, he must have been the actual commander-in-chief of all the troops in the field. The campaign must have been completely finished and the region completely pacified. The victorious troops brought home, and at least 5,000 of the enemy must have fallen in one engagement. So this was also a positive extension of the territory of the kingdom had had to have been gained. This wasn't just some like attack repelled or it wasn't a civil war. A victory must have been won over a foreign foe that you took, the, you took, the, you took ground. So if all of that happened, maybe once in a lifetime, a general would be honored with a triumph. And in the actual triumph, there would be a procession through the streets all the way to the capital of Rome where an offering was made to the gods. First, there would come the state officials, and then the senate, and then followed by them, you had trumpeters come through. And after all this pomp and circumstance was in place, men would follow carrying the spoils of the wealth of the land that they had conquered, the treasure that they had just conquered. Then there would come a white bull, and they would sacrifice it to the god Jupiter. Then they would even bring in prisoners in chains from this land that they had conquered. Followed by that, you'd have censers full of incense that were smoking, that would just give off this aroma to fill the air along the way. You also had women who would line the streets and throw garlands of flowers that were just crushed under the hooves of the riders of horseback. And it gave off a very strong, distinct aroma. There was nothing like the smell with all this incense, the flowers being crushed. Even the people that like, lived in the houses along the streets would like, burn this special incense. You would see these like once in a lifetime, okay? It was a really big deal. Then the general himself would come in. He would, he would be on a chariot pulled by four horses. He would have a purple robe with like four golden crowns on it, and then he would cover that with another purple toga that, um, that had like a star on it, I, I believe, if I remember correctly. He would, he would hold a ivory scepter with an eagle on it, and they would crown that general in a triumphal procession. That's the picture in Paul's mind right now, where he goes from despair and discouragement, and when he looks to God and he remembers what Christ did for him, how Christ forgave him, he tells the Corinthians, for we are in this triumphal procession. This thing that happened once in a lifetime, for we are always following God in a triumphal procession. This is how you get your perspective back. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. There is never a moment when God isn't leading. Even if on the backside of this, the knots look pretty messy, pretty tangled, I don't know how anyone can make any sense of this, what is going on, there's another side to that story that we will eventually see. But when you think about that, you can just watch your confidence grow. I'm not making enough money right now. My family is, is, is off the wall right now. There could be all kinds of problems that you're dealing with that do not make sense. Just like Paul's situation. Why can't I have this restoration with this church that I love in Corinth? He's hurting. 
He's struggling. But he looks to God and he gives thanks for what Jesus Christ did. And that changes his entire outlook. Our plans can unravel. It may not make much sense now. But whatever happens, the God of all those little G gods that, that aren't real, the real God, the true God, he is leading me in a triumph. And I am one of those soldiers. I'm one of those people who's actually carrying in the spoils of war, in this spiritual warfare, this battle for truth in our mind that we face. We are part of that. Don't look at the circumstances. Don't look at the difficulties. If you want to turn your discouragement into joy, you look to God. We can never lose with our conqueror, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the conqueror, and he makes us more than conquerors. So as Paul is giving, giving this analogy, he's just on fire with this analogy, he gives another reason to be thankful. We're also the ones carrying the censers and carrying those, that fragrant incense. Not only do we have victory and joy and peace that is found in God, he is also using you and I to carry this aroma of the good news. And this message that we carry of, of repentance and faith and restoration and forgiveness, for those who are perishing, it's a message, it's an offensive message. It's a message of death. Apart from Jesus Christ, the wages of your sin is death. No one wants to hear that. You don't want to hear that I can't live my life my way and do my thing, and I have to submit to an ultimate authority. People don't want to hear that. It's a message of death to those who are dead spiritually. But it doesn't end there, right? This sweet aroma, this gospel good news that we are carrying also says life. Life is found in Jesus Christ, and it's our role. We are called to share that and to spread that good news. Worship team, you can come up right now. This is a picture of your influence for Jesus Christ. We have influence, and we don't really deserve it. <laughs> we just don't. I mean, God could save us any way he wants, a million different ways. But he chooses to use us. And this is incredible. Formerly dirty, dirty formerly broken, former blasphemers, people who were once enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. You can be transformed and called to be used by God to influence people for his kingdom. And that's you and I. A fragrant offering of sacrifice to God in Christ. When we look at the forgiveness of Jesus, how he forgave us, when we look at what Jesus Christ accomplishes through us, how can we not help but give thanks? How can we not help but, but seek opportunities to display the love of Jesus Christ and forgive others? We don't need to give up. Sure, there's times when you need to get your spirit right. You need, to, you need to find peace and rest in Jesus Christ alone. Don't feel like it's all on you. We have a whole army surrounding us. 
We go shoulder to shoulder with other people. There are other people who can lift you up and encourage you when you need it. Reaffirm those people. But getting your head right starts with getting your heart right. What did Jesus do for you? He forgave you. I'm ready to forgive. I'm not ready to quit. I'm ready to forgive. Forgive. Reset. Give thanks. Because in Jesus Christ, you are a spiritual triumph. Stand up with me. We need to praise our Savior for this, do we not? Let's give him all the praise and the glory because in Christ Jesus, we are walking in a triumphal procession. And that is good news. That's good enough news to make all the bad knots and mangled mess happening not hold us back, not get us down, but to get us excited about the triumph. Let's sing.